go to First Peter, and we'll continue to where we have been. <coughs> Glad I'm saved. I just sit and think about all that God's done for me and done for my family. Some of you saw that little picture I put on there of the girls. And boy, before I got saved, um, Tyler knew a little bit before I got saved. And I got to thinking about, you know, what he would be doing as a young man had I not got saved. And I know what he's been doing, would have been doing, because I know what I was doing, and he'd have done what I was doing. And because, uh, you know, a young boy thinks his daddy is, and he's going to do a lot like his daddy's. And, um, so I taught him a lot of things. There's probably not a Waylon Jennings song he didn't know. And uh, taught him to sing it, and, you know, just taught him all kinds of just ungodly things, really, you know, that had nothing to do with the Lord. And so who knows what they would have been playing, what our children would have been like. What, do I, what, do I, what, is, what would your family be like? Uh, some of you come from families. You don't come from a long line of uh, Christian, faithful Christian homes, you know. When God stepped in your generation and allowed you to set a new precedent for your family of going to church and serving Jesus and uh, living for the Lord. And um, it's all because of what He did for you. And so I just sit and think about this First Peter, these verses here, and think about if so be you've tasted the Lord is gracious. And I just need to go on because I just get stuck there and can't seem to get out sometimes. But I just can't get over uh, how that I have found him to be gracious. And he's never stopped being gracious. I just um, appreciate everything the Lord's done for me and he's changed my life certainly. But he's changed my family, uh, changed your future. You young people, you think about what it'd be like if your daddy or mama would have kept on going the way they's going. Who knows you'd, what, what life would have been like? You ever think about that? I wonder what life would have been like had um, somebody in your family not chosen to submit themselves to the Lord and serve him. I wonder what you would have been. You think, you, think you'd be here this morning? Think you'd be a drunk like your daddy was? be an alcoholic or a drug addict like your mother was. I mean, who knows? Uh, you know, God chose to save somebody in your family and make a difference in your life. And now no telling where. Um, a lot of families that we have, not a lot of members of our families are, live the way we live. God just did something special for us. And uh, I, I appreciate all that He's done. I don't mean to ramble on. I just think about uh, where I could be um, what I could be doing. Um, I don't know what happens to us. You know these, these little girls, they, they got that from coming to church. They seen people get down on an altar and pray. And I, 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 I'm thrilled that my children learn how to do those things. I miss the days of hearing Tyler be the pastor and Hunter being the visiting preacher. They'd get their little suits on and preach to each other and sing and play church. And Amber, there's no telling what it'd been like had God not saved me. They wouldn't be playing church. 
But what I'm looking for is the reality of one day getting to see them come down and believe on the Lord and be saved. But they just got down there, Jordan got down there, and Hannah put her little arm around her and they were helping each other. You know, that's the way it ought to be. They're just playing, but you know, church, that's the way we ought to be. Somebody, you know, it just pictured to me uh, a spark of the goodness of, you know, just a uh, times when you've been at your lowest and you got down on an altar and somebody just crept up beside you and put their arm around you and just cried with you while you cried. Uh, we're a nation of priests. Priests don't generally go to other priests for help, right? If you're, if you're a priest in the Old Testament, you know just as much as all the other priests, right? There's no, what are they going to tell you? That's going to be enlightening. You do the same job. You know the same stuff. You're going to go to the high priest for help, generally, right? And we do the same thing, but it's nice to know that there's somebody along beside you sometimes with their arm around you saying, hey, you're not in this alone, I'm with you. And uh, I don't know what happens, how we go from that to uh, a quite uh, contrary kind of spirit sometimes, but uh, I hope we can find that in ourselves to get back to the place where we care about each other uh, like that, you know, and just the picture of that. I'm not saying uh, you got to come down and put your arms around people and all that. I'm just saying uh, that we ought to have that kind of care in our heart for each other. Uh, if you're suffering, I'm going to suffer with you. If you're crying, I want to cry with you. If you're rejoicing, I want to rejoice with you. Um, that's the kind of love that we want to have for each other. Uh, and so, Peter, anyway, let's go on and uh, look at some scripture here. Um, continue on in First Peter in chapter number 2. And we have stopped. Well, we've looked at our position and we've seen various things in verse 5 pertaining to our position and um, come on down, we see the uh, prophecy of verse 6, how that um, it was before told uh, that, uh, Behold, I lay in sign the chief cornerstone, talking about our precious Lord. And this same Jesus is become the head of the corner whom the builders set at naught. The uh, builders of the, speaking to them religious Jews, uh, not to believing Jews, he's talking to religious Jews there, uh, that rejected their own Messiah. Jesus, never forget, Jesus was a Jew in this flesh. He was born to Jew. This is a Jewish Bible we hold in our hands. Now, unto them were committed the oracles of God. This is a, a Jewish uh, descent that we have. Jesus, earthly speaking, uh, was a Jew. The Bible says he came unto his own. Who was his own? Well, the Jewish people. He came unto his own, and his own received him not, right? And so Jesus is, um, in talking in those scriptures there, uh, he talks about how that uh, he was rejected uh, of those builders in various other verses we won't turn to tonight. But he was rejected uh, by those that were doing the building at the time. And this is verse 7, the stone which the builders disallowed, uh, the same is made the head of the corner. And uh, that is somewhat, in verse number 8, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them who stumble at the word being disobedient. Uh, so him who uh, you have disallowed, who you have looked upon and seen in disapproval and rejected, will be the same one that will crush you one day because he is the head of the corner. And that's what he's trying to say. Uh, and that's true today in 2020. 
Um, anybody that rejects Jesus Christ, the same one that is the Savior unto life, will be the one that will bind them up and cast them into a lake that burns with fire. Uh, he'll be the one that will grind them to powder, crush them to pieces. And um, he is uh, uh, the Savior uh, unto them which believe, uh, but unto those which be disobedient, he's a stone of stumbling. Uh, he's people uh, stumble at. He is the, let me say this, he is the pivotal point in the life of every person that's ever been born. Uh, what you do with Jesus will determine your life in eternity and now. And uh, whether you receive Him or whether you uh, be like the builders at that time and uh, you disallow Him, you disapprove Him, you reject Him, uh, if you can't uh, seem to fit Him into your life, uh, then one day He'll uh, not fit you into His, right? And so uh, that's what is being talked about here is you're also lively stones. You're built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood uh, for a purpose to offer up these spiritual sacrifices. And so it's all based upon Jesus Christ and what he has done. Uh, and that gets us down to about verse number eight. And we see the precious Savior and he's precious to us. We won't go into these other uh, verses, but they are. If you're taking any notes, well, we, let me skip over that. You can ask me later on. You can find those. Uh, but if you look in verse number 9, we see that we're a peculiar people. And we dealt with some of that this morning. We are peculiar. We are special. We are different. We are uh, a people that were never a people. We are, uh, may go to Ephesians 2 and look at how we were uh, aliens, strangers from the commonwealth. Had no place, no covenant, no rights, no God. In fact, the Bible says you were without God in the world, and uh, to you Gentiles, and that would be me as well. Uh, and so we try to remember that verse number nine. But now, uh, now we are the people of God, and uh, we'll never be in darkness again. Uh, your eyes may go dim that you cannot see afar off if you forget you were purged from your old sins, but you'll never again be in darkness. Um, because the light of the glorious gospel of Christ has shined in unto you. And so you will uh, be saved forever. And so that's a wonderful truth. So verse number 9 says, Your chosen generation, royal priesthood, a holy nation. And that should remain true today. Well, we should be holy, right? But a peculiar people, uh, that you should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Verse 10, Which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, uh, which have had not obtained mercy, but now have attained mercy. So we see uh, that we're a people now who were never a people and had no rights. And so the fall of Israel, the fall and the rejection of Israel, their Messiah, uh, allowed me and you as wild Gentiles uh, to be grafted into this olive tree. And so now we are something new, something special. Uh, the church in Old Testament times, uh, if God had something to say, He said it in Hebrew. If God had something to speak to mankind, He spoke through a Jew. Uh, God dealt primarily with the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. And uh, by their rejection, by their fall, uh, has been the joy and the abundance and the reconciliation and all those wonderful things uh, to me and you. So we're not puffed up against them, right? Because of their fall, you and I have been grafted in. And so now, interjected into history, uh, supernaturally, at Pentecost, was the church, an unknown body before 
before, uh, a great mystery uh, how that the middle wall of partition has been broke down now. And so God is now making not a physical nation, uh, not a people that have a land in Canaan from east to west, north to south, and not a physical nation, but a spiritual nation, a one uh, where there is no Jew nor Gentile, nor bond nor free, nor male or female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. So what separated me and you from the Jewish nation uh, was their Mosaic law, was their covenants of promise and all those things that we were not a part of. And uh, now had Jesus Christ has fulfilled uh, the Mosaic law in his body, and that's been abolished uh, by uh, him. He said, not one jot nor tittle uh, will fail until all be fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled every jot and tittle of the law on your behalf. So the very thing keeping you out brought you in. He fulfilled it for you. So the Gentile people, having been grafted in wild, are not brought in under the Mosaic law. Uh, He has abolished that. The handwriting of ordinances that were against you uh, are gone now. He fulfilled them. Uh, There's still a moral law, and there's a moral code which governs even society itself. Uh, Even our civil governments, the civil laws that we have, are based upon a moral code. But that is written in the conscience of people, not the Mosaic law found in the Bible. It's what God wrote in the conscience of mankind. They uh, operate based on a code of uh, morality, and it still holds binding to me and you. Right? We should live holy and just and righteous and godly in this present world. Grace is not a license to sin, is it? This cause we're saved by grace doesn't mean we can do whatever we want to. We're empowered to do what we want to because what we want to do is live right. We just got a problem. Most of us do anyway. Um, Something that's contrary to me. Something that opposes me. He's going to talk about here in just a minute, boys, young men, men, he's going to talk about here in just a minute to abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul. He's going to talk to you about how that uh, you'd like to do right, but the flesh is weak. There's something that's opposing you, something that's against you. And so let's just go down, look down through here. I, I think what we'll do is continue on at verse number 11 and go down through these verses. I have every intention of going back into the Old Testament and looking uh, from Genesis 12 to 15. I uh, had every intentions of doing that, and I told you that I was probably going to do that. But um, as I studied today and as I said here earlier, uh, I don't believe I'm going to do that tonight. So I think I'm just going to go down through here and continue on in these verses that God's put on my heart. And we will, Lord willing, go back to that Wednesday and try to look Wednesday night at some of these great truths um, because it's a whole lot more, um, a whole lot more involved than I think I want to try to bite off here tonight. Um, it is probably one of the uh, most um, deepest studies I've, I've probably done in definitely a long time. Um, so I think I'll just wait if you don't mind. I think the best thing we can do uh, is just wait before we go back to Genesis and look at the things that pertain to the nation of Israel. Um, I will say this. I, I may have made mention of this this morning. 
But there is still a distinction. In the Old Testament, you had Jew and Gentile. The church didn't exist, right? Until Pentecost. And then you've got the church now made of Jew and Gentile. One, he made of twain one new man, right? And so you've got now a third entity that exists today still uh, outside. In the church, there does not exist Jew or Gentile. Is the Bible clear on that? It says there's no Jews, there's no Gentile, we're all one. Uh, so any Jew in particular today, if he's going to get saved, he's going to come the same way you come. And that's through believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and he can be saved. Now, I particularly don't think he loses his identity as a, as a Jew, uh, but I do think he loses his uh, uh, religious identity to his Jewish tradition, uh, and he is part of, God, of the body of Christ now. He's a, he's a Christian just like me and you. Uh, but I don't want to go into that, but you've got now, you've got a, a new entity now called the body of Christ, the church of the living God. Uh, but that does not disannul, that does not take away from the fact that there still is a nation of Israel uh, that has been brought back into her own homeland as of 1948, and it now exists as a nation, as a people, who are Jewish people, right? And so you've got Gentiles that are not Jews, and then you've got the church. Because Paul said this, because some people believe, now I don't think we, anybody believes that in here, but there's a lot of people that believe uh, that uh, the church has replaced Israel. In fact, if you read, it started really, the Roman Catholic Church started uh, the idea of replacement theology. Um, it's the idea that Israel has been wiped off the map now. God's through with her, never to turn back to her and deal with her again. He's done with her. The church is the new Israel. And in Vatican II, the Catholic Church states that we are now the new Israel. Uh, they've been opposed to Israel from day one. The Catholic Church, as you start, go back to Pope Urban, you see that how that in the first crusades, they went along across Europe murdering Jewish people all along the way. And they didn't go to the to the they didn't go to Jerusalem to try to restore Jerusalem from the Muslims to give it back to the Jews. They went to take it for themselves. Uh, Catholics have been opposed to Jews for a long time. They think they are the new Israel. And there's a lot of people that believe that, that uh, uh, somehow we have taken place of, uh, of Israel. And so uh, we see that in the New Testament, Paul says this. He said, we're to give none offense to the Jew or to the Gentile or to the church. So there exists still uh, uh, the Israel, the Jew, the church, and the Gentile that still exists even after the church has been brought in. And so they have not gone away. They've not been done away with uh, in the sense of their existence no more than uh, uh, you stop being an American because you're saved, right? I mean, there's a, uh, those things still exist. The question is, uh, what is God going to do now? Is God, is God done with Israel? Is God going to turn back to Israel? Uh, what the standard belief is, what most of us here probably believe to a degree, uh, at some point or another, we believe that uh, Christ will come for his church, the next thing prophetically to happen is we'll hear the trump of God sound, right? And we'll hear the voice of him that will cry, come up hither. 
Is everybody with me? Does everybody, most people believe that in here? Uh, and so we believe nothing is going to stop Jesus from coming. There's no uh, prophecy that needs fulfilled. Uh, there's no, uh, it's an imminent return of Christ. At any moment, uh, Christ could call for his church. Now, uh, and this is what uh, most of us, I say, believe uh, that the next thing that happened is we hear the trump of God and we are raptured out of here. The dead in Christ rise first, right? Paul said, we will not prevent them which are asleep. And so the dead in Christ rise first, in which we are allowed to remain, uh, we are caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. That's what uh, we mostly believe uh, that is the next place, the next thing to happen uh, in God's timeline. And there's nothing that needs to happen in order for that to take place. And even if you want to try to talk about the abomination of desolation, I don't, I don't believe in that. Uh, I believe that there's nothing withholding Jesus from coming. He can come whenever he wants to. Everything's been fulfilled. Now that's what I believe. Now the next thing that happens after that is you have the tribulation period, the time of Jacob's trouble. That time's ushered in. Uh, and this is a, a time in which God will uh, turn to judge his people Israel. Uh, and it's not appointed to us to suffer that during that time period. Uh, we obtain mercy, right? Everybody with me? So the church is gone, uh, and then on the earth you've got uh, uh, God, there's three and a half years of false peace, and then uh, they'll make a deal with the devil, so to speak, and think, and then all uh, literal hell will be brought down upon the earth uh, for the final three and a half years of the tribulation period to the time of Jacob's trouble. And uh, that's what we generally believe, just roughly generally believe, uh, and that God will uh, come and he will, uh, they'll see him. He said, you will not see me again uh, till you say blessed. So Jesus will come and bring the armies of God will be with him riding upon white horses and will come. He'll slay the enmity, uh, 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 the, enmity uh, the enemies of Jew, the Jewish people, and then he'll establish his kingdom upon the earth. The, uh, he left from the Mount of Olives. And the, uh, he, they said, why stand ye gazing up looking on? The same Jesus which you saw leave will come again in like manner. And so we believe his feet shall stand again on, uh, on the Mount of Olives. He'll come back again. He'll establish a literal kingdom on this earth for a thousand years. And he'll rule and reign from Jerusalem. Now that's what generally, in a nutshell, uh, uh, most independent fundamental Baptists believe. Uh, and then we believe also what happens, and just I'm just giving us what do you call a synopsis? Is that what you call? I don't know, a general overview uh, of what most churches uh, believe. And so um, then we believe that uh, the Bible says when they see him, according to uh, is it Zechariah or Jeremiah, I'm getting confused now, but when Israel sees him whom they pierced, the scales fall from their eyes and all Israel be saved. Now that's what Romans said. And so we believe that he'll come. The people of Israel, he'll come to his people. They'll see their Messiah whom they once rejected and they'll receive him. And, uh, and God will uh, graft them back in. Uh, These natural branches will be grafted back in uh, to their own olive tree, but not without faith. They must believe. There's nobody, and Paul makes this very clear in the New Testament. I don't know if we're going to go into this. Uh, but Paul makes it very clear to the Jews. A Jew is not a Jew, there's one outwardly. Nobody saved and going to heaven because they were born by somebody else. You must be born from heaven. Is that not what he told Nicodemus, Rabbi, this uh, teacher, this learned man? Your Jewish traditions, your Jewish lineage is not going to save you. You must be born again. 
so that lineage that you thought you had that you held was so important is not going to save you in the end. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Just like anybody else. It's all faith and we got to keep that in mind. Uh, but there's certain questions that need to be answered and I just don't feel like that I've got it all put together exactly in my mind uh, the way that it'll come out in a way that makes sense to you because my brain will get scattered and then I'll scatter it to you and you, that's not going to help anybody. Uh, but uh, it is a very uh, important question that we must ask ourselves um, is this matter of uh, Jesus and how he uh, views his people. Um, and so we'll come back to that, okay? We will come back to that because if I try to do that tonight, it's already almost seven and we'll never leave. Um, so anyway, and I'll probably just have it all confusing to you and not come across in a clear manner. Uh, so you pray for me Wednesday night. We'll try to go back and look at some of these things a little bit better. And you pray for me that God will help me to uh, rightly divide some of these things. Okay. But dearly beloved, we've not obtained mercy, but now we've obtained mercy. Look at verse number 11. We're going to see that we're pilgrims. So dearly beloved, I beseech you, and we know what that means I beseech you as what? Strangers. Now, a stranger is somebody who is not at home. Are you at home here? Is this world comfortable to you? Their ways, their sin, their music, their lifestyle. Does that feel, do you feel at home there? How many people remember, and I want to move on, but uh, he deals with the fact that we're pilgrims. Does anybody ever remember being lost and going to church? You talking about a man that's feeling out of place. I felt uncomfortable in a church when I was lost. Can everybody raise their hand if you felt that way? You just felt like you didn't belong. This is not my play. I don't know what these people are talking about. I don't know why they're crying. I don't know. It's just, you just felt out of place. It was uncomfortable uh, to be there. And uh, I tell you where I felt comfortable. I felt comfortable when I got back out on a Friday night and got with people that were doing the same things I like to do. And we had a good time and lived it up and enjoyed that. I was, feel, I was comfortable with that. And then I got saved and I was absolutely uncomfortable even being around the people that did that, whether I did it with them or not. Am I telling it right? As you, you, you're totally strangers now. And see what he said in Ephesians, you were strangers to all of those things, to everything without God in the world. That was all, you were strangers to that. Now that is not what you're strange to. Now you're strangers to the world. You're not at home here anymore. Is that not what Abraham was? He was a, a stranger, a sojourner, a, a man that was not at home, but he was also a pilgrim. A pilgrim is a man who's headed home. <laughs> and that's what you are. So I beseech you, therefore, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies to live sacrifice, holy acceptable to God. Why? It's your reasonable service. It's just reasonable to do that. Why? Because you don't belong here. You got no reason to use your, your faculties uh, in a place like this. this. Isn't your home? Your citizenships in heaven. Your pilgrims. Your uh, your sojourning. You're just traveling through this place, headed to another country whose builder and maker is God. And that's where we ought to be. We ought to be just traveling through here, trying to. Uh, he's going to tell us what we shouldn't be doing while we're traveling through. But we're people. Yes, we're not at home, but we're a people that are headed home. We're headed in that direction. Are you headed towards heaven? You don't live like you're headed towards hell and end up in heaven when you die. There's a very few exceptions to that rule. The thief on the cross, I believe would be one, wouldn't he? There's deathbed confessions. I realize there are exceptions to the rule. 
But generally speaking, you don't knowingly, willingly live your life in rebellion and then end up dying and going to heaven when you die. He said the disobedient stumbled at him, right? So I appreciate the songs that were sung earlier about our homeland. Are you headed there? Are you headed to heaven? Do you really believe that one day you're going to close your eyes over here and you are going to wake up in another world without your body? That you're going to wake up in another world and your eyes will behold the unseen God. You believe that? Do you believe there's a heavenly Jerusalem? Do you believe there's streets of gold? Do you, do you really believe? I mean, I mean, some, if, if we can't believe enough uh, to motivate us to live for Him, how do we believe enough to know that when we die, when it's completely out of our control, that we've trusted Him enough and that these things really exist? You young people, do you really believe there's a heaven? Do you believe there's a, there's a, that if a man dies, he'll live forever somewhere? Do you believe that uh, there's a, 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 a hell beneath your feet where there's really people that are there right now screaming and begging that are in darkness? That uh, uh, Jude talks about uh, the darkness that they'll experience forever. Do we believe in those things? Do we really believe that? Do we believe it to the point that it motivates us to do something about it? I believe it. I believe there's a heaven. I believe there's the streets of gold. I believe there's a river. I believe in all the... I, I believe every, everything this Bible says, I just want to believe it. Don't you? There's a home I'm going to one day where there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more, um, no more uh, worrying about it, no more of my own sin. No more of the world. No more of uh, uh, being uh, uh, in total uh, uh, disagreement with yourself all the time. Fighting against yourself. Trying to do right. All those things will pass on one day. And you will live in the presence of Jesus. And you will have a body that will be fashioned like it unto His. And you'll never know sin anymore. You'll never know rebellion, transgression. You'll never bring shame to Jesus again. You'll never shame Him. You'll never fail Him again. You'll live in the presence of God. Almighty and look upon the face of the Lamb that was slain for you for all of eternity and sing eternity song. You believe that? I'm going there. This world's not my home, Brother Montgomery. I am going to heaven one day. When they roll my triple XL casket down here one day, I want you to know something about this young man. I'll be in heaven living with Jesus, kicking up my heels for all of eternity. Because this world's not my home. My citizenship and my home is in heaven with Jesus. And I don't belong here. This world is strange to me. I belong in heaven and that's where I'll be forever. Oh, man, I believe that. Uh, do you believe it? I hope you believe it. That's the blessing, folks. That remains the rest. You and me, we got a home to go to. So I'm going to ask you something. Here's what I'm going to ask of you. Here's what, here's what he says, not, not me. Here's what he said. So I beseech you, considering that you don't belong here and you're not at home, and considering like Abraham and Hebrews... You're plainly seeking another country, and seeing that you're headed home, here's what I want to ask you to do. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Now, 
We know this word abstain means to hold oneself from. It means that you and I have a responsibility. We have to withhold ourselves from fleshly lusts. Right? Now, immediately, most of our minds will go to, uh, uh, think of the word I want to use here. Immediately, when you hear the word lust, most of our minds go to the wrong thing. Are you with me? If you're an adult in here, you know what I'm saying? Immediately, your mind, you think, but that's not all that's talking about. And so we got to remember, we got to withhold ourselves. We have to stop ourselves. Here's here's where it gets to. It gets down to the nitty gritty. It don't say to stop yourself from fulfilling the lust thereof. It says to withhold yourself, to keep yourself from the fleshly lusts that war against your soul. You know what I think he's trying to convey to us here? The same thing another verse said, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. I think what he's saying here is, and you, you all can follow me on this. There are certain places you can go that's going to stir something up inside you that does not need to be stirred up. It exists there anyway. There are certain things you can listen to that will stir up certain feelings that you don't need to listen to because those feelings don't need to be stirred up. Because when that lust, when it's conceived, when it meets opportunity, when it drives you, it's not the devil's fault, right? We blame the devil. The Bible says you're drawn away of your own lust. It's stuff that's already there. So abstain. Keep yourself from anything that will stir up those desires in your heart that are ungodly. Whether it be... uh, I say the, no, uh, whether it be physical in nature, uh, whether it be uh, uh, the Bible talks about uh, 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 evil uh, concupiscence, I believe is the word. Uh, some of the, I'm trying to use Bible words for the things I'm wanting to say here. Uh, but you understand what I'm saying. Whether it be physical things or whether it be anything else, there's all kinds of other lusts that exist out there. Uh, there's people that have lust for money. They have a love for money. Money's got a hold of them. It's the root of all evil. There's all kinds of lust in the Bible. It's not always uh, just physical. Uh, there's lust for things. Of, uh, uh, there's lust for satisfaction, self-gratification. There's, uh, there's all kinds of lust out there that exist. So anything that stirs that up inside of you, you've got to keep yourself from it. Can I say this? And this will get me murdered in some camps. But it's a good thing I don't run with them anyway, and I could care less. I didn't want to be their friend to begin with. Can I say this in all honesty? Some people just take things too far. But I know a preacher, my first pastor, Brother Reed, my first pastor, when he got saved, he was an alcoholic. So when he got saved, for him to smell the smell, it, stir, it, it brings up things in him he don't need stirred up. So he would never go to a restaurant where they sold those types of things. Now, don't take this the wrong way. When I go to Ruby Tuesdays or somewhere like that, you want to know what I smell? Steak. <laughs> I don't smell what's going on at the bar. I don't, I don't even know if they have one. I'm not even paying attention to that. I'm thinking about one thing. 
So it may not bother me. I never think, the only thing I ever think of if I end up in a place like that, and I try not to go and give money to places that do that kind of thing, and I try my best to do that just based on that, but not because it draws and stirs me up to want to do it, because I don't want to do it. Who wants to wake up in the morning feeling like they've been run over by a semi-truck? No, you can have all that you want to. Uh, So that doesn't necessarily bother me, but it bothers him. So he has to stay away from those things because it will stir something up inside of him that liable to make him fall, though he is saved and called to preach. And so I don't know what it is for you. It varies from person to person. I, I can't put my personal things on you. Well, I could never go there. I could never do that. I told you about the one man I was up in their church, and uh, he got up there preaching, and he said, there's no way you could be saved and have an iPhone and an iPad. And he was in a big way. You're not saved. And I'm sitting there with one in the car. And I'm thinking, well, big boy, I'm about to preach to you. So I guess, you know, where do people come up with this kind of thing? Look, he may not have been able to do right with a phone. Right? So we can't put all of our, I can't make you fit me. You don't, you know what I'm saying? I don't fit you. You don't fit me. What stirs you up may not stir me up. But whatever it is, whatever it is in your life, if it stirs up fleshly lust that's warring against your soul, you better keep yourself away from it. Uh, Young men, I know one for you for sure. Young ladies, I know of another one for you for sure. It's the same, but it's for, for different reasons. One's physical, and the other one's emotional. One wants it because of what it might feel like, and the other one wants it because they want to feel loved and want to feel like they're somebody. They think that makes them feel that way. I know it stirs up those lusts. I would keep myself from anything that stirred that up. It's already there. God put it in there. It's natural to you. What's unnatural is to act upon it outside the marriage bed. That's not right. Right? So you have to abstain from things. You have to abstain from places. Abstain from people that may stir up things inside of you that don't need to be stirred up. Fleshly lust. You know what that word means right here? I can't pronounce it. I've got it wrote down. And maybe one of you could try to pronounce it for me. If we weren't online, I'd try to pronounce it and give you a good laugh. But this Bible says, which wars against the soul. The word picture is basically an encamped army. Basically, what what Peter's trying to say is, is that based on the, the word pictures here, is that your flesh is engaging in an all out warfare against your soul. A relentless warfare against you to try to destroy your testimony. It's warring against your soul. You don't even have to stir it up. It's there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You don't even stir it up and there's stuff there. You're thinking, what in the world did that come from? It's already lies there natural because of what your flesh is. It's at war with your soul. There is nothing that your flesh wants to do that will ever bring any edification or benefit to your soul. These two are contrary one to the other. The flesh lusteth, the spirit lusteth, and these two contrary one to the other. There's nothing that my flesh ever desired to do. Understand what I'm trying to say here. What did Jesus say? What? You couldn't watch one hour? The spirit indeed is willing, but the what? Flesh is weak. Whose flesh just loves praying? It just loves to deny itself and to put everything down, and your flesh just loves to go somewhere and get down on your knees and pray. 
Your flesh just loves to turn everything off and get away from everything and try to get in your Bible, fighting all the battles of your mind, try to clear your mind out long enough just to read something. Whose flesh just loves that? Whose flesh just, nobody's flesh loves all those things. You know what loves that if you love it? Your soul. Been redeemed. Your flesh is at war against your soul if you're saved. And if you give it one ounce of opportunity, it'll take 10 miles from you. And you can't go back and undo it. You can get forgiveness, but you can't undo what it did. But you know what happened? You let it do it by giving place to your flesh, by allowing those lusts, number one, you gave yourself the open window. You gave access for those lusts. You stirred them. You fed them. You can't do that. None of us can do that. Which war against the soul. Now, we've, we've got to go. Well, let me just say this before we go. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may behold your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So let me just say, uh, in this last verse, I wrote a quote down here. Hudson Taylor said this, We are not only to renounce evil, but to manifest the truth. We tell people the world is vain. Let our lives manifest that it is so. And I think that's about right. Having your conversation, your whole manner of life, honest among a lost and a dying world, so that one day, and I believe the language here, Brother Snow, you like those word studies, if you study that word visitation, that is talking about a divine visitation from heaven. I believe what that's talking about here. In the day of their visitation, when Christ comes and visits them, they can glorify God because of how they saw you live. As opposed to saying, I don't want nothing to do with that. You know what Tyler claims to be a Christian? You know what he did to me? See, did Paul not also say the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you? Talking to the Jews and how they live? Who wants to be a part of that when you live like that? Does anybody know somebody like that when you were growing up who you thought, man, who would want to be a Christian if that's what it means to be one? I don't want to be that person. Do you? Don't, don't you want to, don't you want to, though they may not understand it now, though your family or though that loved one that you're trying to witness to, they get sick of you. They probably get tired of hearing about it all the time. They get sick. They get, honestly, I'm sure they do. And so right now they may not appreciate it, but in the day in which the divine visitation of heaven comes, they'll be glad they had somebody godly in their life that was trying to give them some light. And so they can glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, that, that's what I believe the Bible's saying here. So here's what we need to do. Again, the last expectation, we are pilgrims. And then in verse number 12, he says, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. Now, that doesn't mean just tell the truth, but that sure is ought to be a part of it, shouldn't it? The Bible says, lie not one to another. We ought not be telling lies. God's not in the bit. God's not for that. We can preach against the sodomites all we want to, but some people would rather uh, stand on their head and tell a lie than stand on their feet and tell the truth. You ought to be honest. But that's not all that it's talking about there. It's talking about a sincere honesty, a, a, a real life, not put on show, not a hypocrisy, but having a real true walk with God so that the lost and dying world can see what it's like uh, to live as a Christian. That's what I believe this verse is saying, that whereas they speak against you now, maybe, as evildoers, who else did that? I did that. 
I'd go to church and see all those people, all oh, they're hypocrites, they're this, they're that. But man, when I got troubled, Wendell, when I got troubled, I didn't turn to the drunks and the harlots and the people I was running with. I turned to other Christians. I turned to them people I knew was living right and had a relationship with God. Oh, please, somebody pray for me. And so they may not appreciate it now. They may speak against you as you're, you're judgmental, you're mean, you're this and you're that. But they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now that's my little interpretation of that verse. I'm done. But he's going to go on and tell us to submit to every ordinance of man and deal with our responsibility as good citizens of our country that we're not uh, of the world, but we're certainly in it, right? So we'll, we'll try to pick up Wednesday night and go back and look at those things uh, that we were going to look at. I just don't believe I, in my mind, could have could do that tonight. So we're, we're going to be done for this evening. Um, but seeing all the blessings that we have, he's left us tonight with those two little verses there. Abstain from fleshly lust. Can I, can I say this? Why do people expect a different outcome when they go to the same places, they're listening to the same music, they watch the same shows on TV. They do the same thing week in and week out and wonder why they can't get ahead. Why are they always succumbing to a certain thing? Because you're stirring those lusts up all the time. You've got to get away from that stuff. Come out from among them and be separate, right? We're a holy people. Show forth the praises of Him. Abstain from fleshly lust and live right so a lost and dying world, when they get under conviction, they can think of, don't you want to be that? You know, I think about this all the time, and I'm done. Come on, Brother Lee, and Miss Snow, Miss Courier. Um, I think about this all the time. You know my little Nana that comes in here a lot. 92, I think she is now. Miss Maiden, others. But uh, I can honestly say, I've been 37 years of my life, Brother Mark, I have never one time in my life have I ever seen that woman mad. Never seen her mad in my life. Never seen her one time have I ever heard her badmouth somebody. Never. I've never seen her fretting and worried and anxious and ah. She just has a peace and a calm. And I want to be that in somebody's life, don't you? I want to be the person in somebody's life that they can look at and say, man, that's what it's like to be a real Christian. And I don't know about you, I fall quite short of that a lot of times, Brother Reed, but that's what I want to be. I want to have a conversation in this world that's real, sincere, and honest that a lost world can look and see what it's like to have Christ in your life. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the people that are here tonight. Thank you for your long-suffering to people that never deserved it. If there's anybody in here tonight that's lost without the Lord, I pray you deal with them and help them to take that first step and come and be born again. If there's any Christians in here, Lord, struggling, I pray you'd meet their need as well. You know the need, Lord. Just have your way and help us to be obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand to your feet just a moment if you would. If you need to come pray, you come to the altar and pray. It's open for you. Brother Eden.